Blog Talk Radio. Everybody to another edition of the Stone and Tiles Show. I am your host, Fred Houston, and I, I know I've been away for a couple of weeks. I've been out all over the country here running around doing stone and tile inspections, but we are back. And if you remember our last show, which was two weeks ago, we were interviewing John Kissler with Mape Corporation, and we're going to get John on the line here in a few more minutes to continue that interview since we have a, a lot more to discuss. We also have some questions that came in via email earlier today that we're going to address once John gets online here. It looks like he's almost here. Uh, before I get John on, let me just uh, read his bio real quick. I'm, I'm not going to read the, le- the lengthy bio I read last time if you want to go back and do that go back and look at the last show. But basically, uh, John has been with Mapay Corporation's technical services for just over four years. He started working with contractors and homeowners alike, while with their product support team. He is currently one of Mapay's architectural advisors and technical services and works closely with Mapay's architectural team, as well as with architects and designers. John is well-versed in the TN, TCNA Handbook of Ceramic Glass and Stone Tile Installations, ANSI Standards, CAD, and specifications, as well as general product knowledge and let me get John in here and uh, welcome him in um, there we go John are you there we're here Fred how you doing uh, well I'm doing just wonderful and you we're doing good thank you for inviting me to the show again it's a great opportunity oh, good. thank you yes yeah, so glad to be back on here actually I was down in your neck of the woods the other day and doing some inspections but I was going to call you but I didn't have time to stop so <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) In one day. But anyway, I want to continue our interview that we had uh, two weeks ago now. But before I do, uh, just before the show, I mean, literally about 10, 15 minutes before the show, I got emailed a question from a lady that uh, we we kind of addressed this a little bit, but uh, I want you to kind of address. Let me read you the, the, the question she had. Has it says we have a shower floor that appears to be absorbing water in addition to draining the water away. The reason after we started using it, the floor started to appear saturated and waterlogged. That was three months ago. It seemed to dry up at that point. Uh, our tilers wondering if the bed has somewhat disturbed uh, during its curing. If the slope is insufficient, uh, is there hope for this floor? How would you address that 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 question? Well, that's a great uh, question, Fred, and uh, thanks uh, for forwarding the photos because, you know, I did have a uh, thought-out response, but after seeing the uh, photos, uh, it uh, clarifies things. And just for our listeners' advantage, I'd like to let them know that this appears to be like a a small uh, uh, 3-8-inch marble mosaic. I believe you said it was a Calcutta. Um, It's hard to tell. It might be a honed, but I can't tell if it's honed or polished because that has an effect on it. It's also got a uh, linear drain, and it's got um, tile for the uh, perimeter walls and then a little bit of, I can't tell if that's tile or stone at the uh, curb. But the bottom line is it's darkening uh, starting at the linear drain, and then about halfway it's starting to transition into a lighter color, and then it's got one small blotch of uh, 
dry uh, appears a, a marble color in the center of it, and then it uh, is a medium dark uh, against the rest of the uh, installation towards the back wall. So, you know, my, my first thought is a couple things. One, it's the, you know, what uh, one of our callers, hit, uh, one of our listeners that called in with um, in our previous uh, interview, and is that uh, they've got this darkening stone which clearly indicates uh, absorption of the water. Now, the, the tile, um, if it was from setting, it would have been dark when they, uh, from the installation. This was, uh, from the, the description, it, this didn't happen until after the installation. So right. uh, what we have, though, is um, water saturation. Uh, there is typically no weep holes at a linear shower entrance. There's a couple uh, manufacturers that have been addressing this, um, but I'm going to just take go reach out and say it's a topical uh, uh, installation of waterproofing, which I believe the brand name, I don't know if you said that, what was done, but it was a sheet membrane. I can leave it at that. And uh, what it also appears, though, is that the gathering of water had started at the linear drain and then worked its way back into the installation. And so, you know, first off, how can you prevent that from happening? Uh, number one, uh, we started to get into this again last show, is that uh, I think this is a perfect case for what we call the six-sided or all-sided ceiling. Uh, uh, that will uh, help the edges not to absorb moisture. It will help the bottom not to absorb moisture. And, of course, depending on whether it's polished or not, because typically water is not going to enter from the top of a polished stone because it's so dense in the, in the, in the, the I can't remember what the, it's, is it the beel layer, I think, that's on top of the stone when it's polished? The bill, bill, but, yeah, it's called bill, the bilby yep. bill, 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 bill layer, yes, bilby layer. Thank you, sir. Okay, I knew I had most <laughs> of it, uh, the, the B word. Um, but anyway, so, uh, you know, so if you put a drop of water on a polished stone, you're going to see that it pretty much uh, is like putting it on a wax car and it's just going to beat up. And then uh, depending on the porosity, uh, you know, it may start to darken over a, a period of time uh, the longer it sits. But typically, you know, in this type of situation, the water is absorbing through the grout into the edges of the stone. And then um, it can then go from wet, wet always seeks dry. So then it can also then uh, start to accumulate into the thin set and then into the bottom of the stone. The sides and the bottom of the stone are rough, so that, absorb, that allows more moisture to absorb. And then the top of the stone being very, uh, the, all the minerals are, uh, pores are sealed off from the polishing process. So that's going to tend to just hold the water and the moisture in there. Uh, for only being dry a week, uh, as was stated, um, this particular one, um, the only thing that I can see, number one, that's going to get it dry is to utilize um, a commercial dehumidifier and put it in the room for about two or three days. You've got to really watch it because it will start to uh, dry out your room tremendously. So if you've got wood uh, frame structure and if you've got a higher humidity uh, environment, that could start to dry out your, your framing in the construction as well. So you have to really watch this. Um, the other thing, then, once it's dry, the only thing you can try to do is to go ahead, and if it's not honed, hone it. Uh, and if it is honed, then just go ahead and uh, reseal it because it's already not working with being um, with not being uh, sealed, or if it is sealed from the beginning, uh, it's already creating an issue. Uh, other than that, 
there's not a lot of hope for this particular uh, installation once they're installed. If you were to have uh, installed it by pre-sealing all sided sealing where you literally dunk the, um, uh, the stone in a specific uh, qualified sealer, then uh, you've got a chance of at least keeping this moisture sensitive stone from uh, grabbing this water so quickly. Will it you know, work 100%? You know, I can't uh, honestly uh, say that because they are, they're all different applications. The installers are different, the, the products are different, but that would be a way to help steer it off. It, it, it's either that or you know, change your material to a porcelain look-like instead of the stone. Yeah, and, and of course, what we don't know here, obviously, too, is neither one of us have actually gone out and inspected the shower, so it, it could be an installation issue as well, uh, not just a material, a material issue. But um, one of the questions I was going to ask you, and you've already brought it up, had to be on the six-sided uh, six ceiling, and uh, I, I know you guys actually have found that you guys have a paper out, a technical paper that, that tells you how to go about doing that. And, and the question I had there Obviously, you can't use standard mortar when you do a six-sided sealing because these sealers are designed to repel water. And if you're using a standard setting material, I would think it wouldn't bond properly. Uh, so do you recommend a particular type of setting mortar and grout, for that matter, when you're using that six-sided method? Okay, again, that's an awesome uh uh, question and let me clarify. Uh, actually, with the uh, sealers that we have recommended in that uh, paper, and I could pull it up, so you know, bear with me a second on the actual names that we have from Mape. But um, there actually is a bond that is created with our traditional mortars, so we don't have to use ah, a specialized grout. Yep, we don't have to use a specialized grout. We don't have to use a specialized uh, um, thin set. However. Uh, where the specialized part comes in is is with the uh, mortar itself. So um, I'm just uh, trying to pull up. So bear with me for a minute here. So yeah, in the I'm meanwhile, yep. So 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 in the meanwhile, what's going to happen though is by doing that sealer and then using a traditional mortar, that's allowing you not have to use specialized uh, materials. Now, what is also recommended is after that mortar uh, is, I mean, after the stone is installed and after it's grouted, I would probably tend to lean towards using the MAPE uh, Ultracolor uh, Plus FA as long as it doesn't scratch the stone or if it's a honed stone, that will fit, and providing the uh, grout joints are meeting the minimum 1 16th inch size. If they're on the sheets and they're tighter than a 16th of an inch, then you're going to be forced to use the uh, the Mape Caracolor U, which is our unsanded um, grout. So it's really important to, you know, first again, identify what your type of material and what the sizes are because the, the Ultra Color Plus does, FA, does offer the the widest range, uh, you know, I'd like to call more of a universal grout because it is a 16th that typically would be unsanded and goes all the way up to three quarters of an inch for the, the sanded. But if you don't have that to begin with, you're already getting into some dicey territory with the uh, grout joint the size not being um, uh, accomplished. And I'm right, just now about, thing... go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say one thing she brought up. I'm not sure I emailed you the complete question, but she she asked if um, would it be possible to tile over this installation. So what would you say to that? Yes, that's absolutely a uh, possibility. And uh, again, you would have to test your material to make sure that um, that you can get a, a bond. And in that case, I would prefer we we have a, a, a eco prim grip, which is our 
um, bond-promoting primer. But uh, even more than that, uh, I would lean towards if you can abrade this, you know, you could probably use an antiquing brush on this very nicely, get that uh, abraded, and then use something like our uh, Carolastic Care Bond, or even better yet, because of the tightness of the stone and everything, our Granny Rapid uh, system, which is, you know, a liquid. I think we touched base a little bit last time, but uh, yeah, the liquid and yep. the... Yep, the liquid and the powder with no water added because that's a rapid set. So depending on what you want to put on top of it, but absolutely can be tiled on top. Now where the issue is going to be is going to be the drain and the drain grate and addressing how to uh, you know, modify that. But uh, enough money will buy about anything you need for this one. Yeah, exactly. Well, it sounds like she might be better off tearing this out and having it redone right. But, you know, again, uh, you and I haven't seen it other than in photographs. Yeah, it's really hard to tell. It's, yeah, you're and, right. Uh, extremely difficult to tell. So let me complicate it. I know we can spend a lot of time on this subject, and I kind of <laughs> want to move on, but let me just address one more thing, which is kind of a another question which can can happen in this situation but can happen in also situation, and that is what if we're dealing with a tile or a stone that has no absorbency to it, uh, i.e. a resin back or a fiberglass back uh, uh, material? What would you recommend there in, in both well, a shower situation and a flooring situation? Well, you know, and here's the thing with the, that, uh, depending on the size. So if there are these little mosaics, you know, there's not a lot you can do. And, and uh, first off, you shouldn't even put that uh, type of uh, uh, stone uh, inside of a wet area, period. Amen. So Amen. then <laughs> that, that, that's number one. But still, you know, we still have, I would not consider your bathroom a wet area. And I would have no problem getting that installed with our, uh, the MAPE's, um, uh excuse me, the uh, Care Epoxy 410, which is strictly a uh, epoxy bonding mortar. We have a couple other ones that could be used, would be our uh, Care Epoxy CQ, and then utilize that in the number 38 Avalanche White if it's a white material similar to this, because now that gives you an, a, a bright white uh, for the semi-translucent tile that you have here, and then that same uh, product, if again, if, the, if it didn't scratch the surface, could also be used to uh, grout with. Otherwise, you'd have to stick again with, uh, you know, our traditional grouts of uh, either the unsanded or the uh, Ultra Color Plus FA. Good, good, good. Now let's let's keep in the same realm since we're talking about this, and let's talk about this is a, now a steam shower. What would you recommend for installing a steam shower with either? Let's forget about the white marbles. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, let's say we're doing, and we could probably talk limestones too, but we won't get into that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, thank but, you. Uh, the steam showers, you know, let's say you're using a, uh, you know, a porcelain tile in a steam shower. Any special requirements uh, from the standpoint of setting mortars or um, or grouts? Absolutely. And the first thing, Bill, those the, the steam shower is a very critical installation uh, from the beginning to the end. So it's gonna everything is gonna be effective from the framing uh, side out and the material selection. You know, this is definitely a uh, installation that I would not use even think about using a a uh, type one organic type setting material. Uh, the next thing that's uh, be, before the uh, setting is to make sure that you have the proper insulation. You know, really go over that TCNA handbook. You know, get yourself familiar a little bit with the ANSI guidelines to some of the numbers that are used in the handbook. And to make sure that you uh, plan out from the beginning that you're going to hopefully have a uh, two-inch per foot sloped uh, 
uh, ceiling on it. Now, it's more critical on a 24-hour uh, usage, like a commercial uh, uh, steam room versus residential. The worst that you'll have it happen in a residential is you get a little bit of dripping on the head and a little cold water spots. But, you know, when it's running day in and day out, uh, some of those are running 24 hours, then it's uh, a lot more critical uh, for, you know, getting that uh, water off the ceiling. Um, aside from that, you know, our typical um, setting materials could be, I personally would recommend any of our, um, uh, how would I say, more advanced uh, setting materials such as our Ultraflex LFT if it's a large uh, sized uh, porcelain. Uh, Granny Rapid uh, system is always a great uh, product to use in, in all installations. Uh, ceiling setting can be a little bit unique, so sometimes it actually depends on your uh, troweling abilities to create a suction uh, to the ceiling with, by your trowel pattern. Some people have actually uh, recommended troweling in a circle from the center radius out, and allegedly that helps uh, uh, create a, a better suction by not letting air out or in, uh, where normally you would otherwise use directional troweling. Um, Sometimes putting, you know, tilt sticks up might help. Sometimes uh, just making the mortar mix just right uh, where it's a little, it's not too tight. Let's put it that way. So, uh, again, there's, there's a lot of techniques that, uh, and products that need to be uh, utilized in this. The other thing is all corners need to have um, slip joints, as we would call them. So nothing is hard mm -hmm. mortared in a corner from the cement board out, or if it's a mortar uh, system, uh, you should have a break in the wire. And, uh, and people are going to contradict this, but the way it should be is a break in the wire, break in the mud, allow there to be that movement joint in the corner and carry it all the way through to the uh, perimeter uh, uh, joint that would normally now be a sealant instead of a, a hard mortar joint, you know, for grout. So all of those uh, items are really critical to abide by. And as far as the grout itself would be, you know, still the same thing. Our Ultracolor Plus FA is great. Um, I would rather use that than epoxy because epoxy is so brittle and it doesn't allow for uh, movement. So if, if you have soft joints where they need to be, epoxy is okay. But if it's a huge steam shower, and then that means you're going to have to put a soft joint in the middle of the uh, grout somewhere to uh, alleviate for that expansion and contraction. Exactly. And I guess the last piece of advice I'd have for this individual that sent this question is, is uh, you know, you obviously heard that there's a lot to this, um, assuming she's not a tile installer and a layperson. So my recommendation would be, and I'm sure, John, you can back me up here, would be to uh, make sure you contact someone that knows what they're doing, a professional. Uh, you know, preferably a certified tile installer, but uh, if you can't get a certified tile installer, at least someone that has a lot of experience installing uh, this, this type of material. Which brings me to another interesting question, since we're on showers. <laughs> um, <laughs> topic I, I, of the day. I like it. Yeah, really. I, I didn't mean to do this, but it just so happens it's an interesting topic. Um, I, one of my inspections that I did the other day was a, a large, very large condominium complex with, uh, I don't know, several hundred units in there. And I'm talking to the installer and uh, I'm asking him the standard questions, you know, how did you install this, blah, 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 blah. In the showers, he made this statement, and I want your opinion here. He says, we waterproof the pans, but we normally don't waterproof the shower walls. And I kind of went, oh, okay. Let's talk about that. What's your opinion there? 
Okay, um, here's the deal. First off, it's only been recently, and I'll call recently within the last 15, 20 years, that we've uh, started doing these sheet membranes, and then within the last uh, eight, 10 years, we've come out with the, um, the liquid waterproof membranes. And before that, we were putting uh, organic adhesive on drywall and showers. So, you know, does it, you know, what's changed and why is this such a concern today? Well, when I was doing my showers, because I, as you mentioned, I've gone back, uh, you know, over 35 years of installing. And what I always did was I lined, first I always insulated the bathroom cavity. So it didn't matter if it was a steam shower, just help for sound. It makes sense. You know, who wants to have a noisy bathroom? And it's not just a shower, but obviously there's a toilet in that room too. Uh, right. then, yeah. then I would uh, uh, cover the uh, studs. Most of mine was uh, wood frame construction with a 6 mil poly. You know, 4 mil is okay and I recommend it, but I would always just do a 6 mil poly uh, plastic sheeting on the walls and, if necessary, the ceiling. And then the... Uh, and this was going with a traditional uh, pan liner, so I was typically using a CPE uh, liner, so there's no plasticizers to uh, escape over time and get brittle. And then that line, then the uh, vapor barrier would uh, overlap the liner. So when I used cement board, it wasn't an issue if moisture got into the absorbent cement uh, base material because if there was any type of uh, transgression of moisture or humidity, it was hitting the vapor barrier and then dripping down back into the shower pan. These days, a lot of times those um, materials aren't uh, used, but you also have different things uh, such as, let's say, some of the foam boards that have um, uh, waterproofing on the surface, or you have the liquids that get installed, or you have this, you have that. So it depends on what his exact uh, installation is, but it can be successful with the correct method, uh, but there's, you know, newer, easier ways to do it, and it's when you start to compensate, or I did a, a job in Chicago, it was actually of a, um, uh, one of our uh, local Chicago uh, film, film star, and in this particular unit, it was a condo unit that they, it was a $4 million uh, project, including obviously the cost of the uh, unit, and it cost a million dollars in repairs after mm -hmm. the high-end construction work was done. And one of the things that was in there, the pan liner, so it was a CPE pan liner, was adhered to the surface of the cement board, and then everything was tiled. Well, what's wrong with this picture? So needless to say, mm -hmm. Uh, every shower in his unit was leaking, and so we had to take it out and uh, to do a, a a jigsaw puzzle to put it back together where it was seamless so we didn't have to do a total gut of the job. Uh, that was my specialty to do. So, you know, that's where we really get into some treacherous territory these days is because of our labor scenario and our methodology of things and then not going by the book and uh, things like that or how we were taught. So, you know, the installation um, definitely is a key in this type of uh, scenario. Absolutely. Let me uh, stop you there for a second, John, and give out the uh, phone number here in case anyone's listening and want to call in with a question for, for you. And then the uh, call-in number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. Okay, you've mentioned a few, more, few times here uh, vapor barrier, and you also mentioned waterproofing. 
or I did, or you did, or we both did. Um, <laughs> for, for I, I guess you know, for obviously installers out there know what we're talking about. Uh, but why don't we go back and explain the difference between the two for our architects out there that are listening and some of the the lay people are listening. So what's the difference between a vapor barrier and a waterproofing barrier, and do they need to be used together? Great question. And uh, typically. Typically, and depending on the installation, you would not use the two of them uh, depending on the application and the permeability of the waterproofing. So, you know, while we were on this subject, and I didn't talk about it, but it was, uh, you know, MaPay's uh, Aqua Defense is a suitable product to put in a steam shower, and it's not required to have a vapor barrier uh, behind the uh, cement board or whatever you're, you're waterproofing. So the advantage of that is now you can make a uniform waterproofed uh, envelope from the ceiling, the walls, and tie it into the drain, whether it be an integrated bonding flange drain or whether it is a, um, uh, a clamping ring drain, as long as you've got the waterproofing tied properly into the drain. So if you have... Uh, just a vapor barrier, again, fine for a typical uh, shower surround or a tub surround, and then let that vapor barrier drape over into the, um, uh, into the uh, tub or the shower surround where, the, where there's typically supposed to be a lip. There was a lot of fiberglass uh, drop-in tubs that got installed years ago that did not have a mm -hmm. tile flange uh, on them, and then those would leak like a sieve because there was no yep. way to seal them. Uh, without that flange. So anyway, then we get into our vapor barrier, and that's just your backup to stop any moisture from getting into the wall cavity. And that's why, same thing, it's critical that it, it, it laps uh, uh, over into a uh, pan liner or back into the tub uh, itself. Uh, lastly, though, when you get into the waterproofing, what's nice about the, the current waterproofing that's been out for a while with the topical is you're Saving some steps, um, first off, uh, you've got your installation that's installed, whether it be cement board or maybe even there's you know, foam board with waterproofing on it with the, the newer lightweight materials as well. So when you have all that waterproofing that's though on the top layer, now there's less of a chance of moisture penetrating and holding into that substrate. So um, when you have a substrate that's a, like a cement board and let's say it's stuck into the mud shower pan, how they advise you in the TCNA handbook, um, if your sub base below that isn't properly pitched or the mud isn't properly dry pack mixed or so many different scenarios can happen, now you're going to be literally wicking water up. I had a job in Arizona years ago that the um, uh, shower pan was not pre-sloped, the liner was not pre-sloped, and they were getting a leak in the basement, and I just couldn't figure it out because they had the pitch on the surface. The pitch on the surface was perfect, you know, a quarter inch or foot, we're fine. But what wound up happening when I did my inspection with my tear-out, I had to go to a destructive uh, inspection, and it wound up that there was moisture that got into the pan, it was literally wicking up the cement board, and then it was releasing outside the pan liner. So there wasn't a leak in the pan liner itself, just strictly that, that wet seeks dry 
wicking phenomenon, and it literally wicked out of the uh, shower pan because of not having a pitch to the drain, so it's holding water, and then the rest was like a candlestick, and it was wicking the water out of the shower. So, uh, you know, we, we covered a bunch of topics there, but, you know, this is real life out there, and you have oh, to yeah. be able to not only be a good diagnostic, but you have to know uh, of, of uh, installing properly, but then also of finding a solution if there is a problem like that. Absolutely. All right, one last question before we get out of the shower. (laughs) Let's talk about this term that's being thrown around now in the industry called the divot method. Explain that. Okay, all the divot method is, it's a way to utilize a topical waterproofing membrane, uh, you know, preferably uh, liquid at this point, but there are some different accessories that are out by other manufacturers. You know, us with our uh, Aqua Defense, what it basically means is you take a typical clamping ring uh, shower drain, uh, it's unbolted, and where you would either hot mop to it or you would put a pan liner to it. Those are the typical methods of, a, uh, of attachment. But with uh, the divot method, what you're allowed to do is you're allowed to install the, the let's say a product like our uh, four to one uh, mud bed mix and do a dry pack and either do a bonded uh, right to the concrete slab and then right up to your drain uh, flange, the bottom drain flange, or you would do it over wood frame construction where you put your 15 pound felt or plastic down and then you know your diamond uh, galvanized diamond mesh and then you put your dry pack on top of it and then you would mold it around the uh, bottom flange. Uh, one of the tricks that uh, I learned from uh, one of my Although, and I'll throw a plug out there to the John Geekers, and now he's uh, there than the Tile Geekers, is that um, <laughs> they would use a th- uh, they use a nine inch uh, frying pan, take off the uh, ah, uh, handle, right and you, the base of that frying pan hit the collar just right on the uh, the drain flange, and then the uh, top was funneled out a little, flanged out a little bit wider. It happened to be about an inch and three eighths thick, which is just perfect for mud bed thickness. You go ahead and you mud it up to that uh, frying pan. You pulled out the frying pan, maybe did a cleanup if necessary, and waited for that to dry, and then throw your liquid on it, and that would overlap the divot that was created by the uh, the shower uh, by the uh, frying pan, and you'd be waterproofed all the way down over to the, the throat of the drain. So um, just this simply is a that's the way we call it. And then in the handbook for uh, uh, professional. Um, Naming it, it's the uh, TCNA handbook method of the uh, B421, and that would be uh, with a typical uh, three-piece clamping ring drain, and there you have it. Great. Well, I'm ready to get out of the shower. uh, And by the way, that's a great tip with the frying pan. I love that. Uh, But let's go ahead and switch gears here a little bit. And let's talk about, well, again, this this condo complex that I looked at. Uh, Obviously, you've got multi-million dollar condos that are using, you know, primarily natural stone. You do see some porcelain and ceramic in there, but they're noisy. So obviously, Mm -hmm. we need to use some kind of soundproofing membrane. Let's talk a little bit about sound reduction membranes. Great. Well, first off, it has to be a consideration is what your ratings uh, for the building are because, you know, usually is a, is a, there's, there's two types of sound. There's impact sound, uh, which is your IIC, and then there's your, uh, um, your airborne sound, which is your STC. And usually as a base, you want to have a 50-50 
on the both of those. And they sometimes are more difficult. The impact sound is always the most difficult uh, uh, to accomplish, and especially when you're using hard surfaces such as stone and such as um, uh, porcelain tile. And then it also it, it, uh, it gets a little easier with wood, but obviously your carpeting, uh, for example, is going to have your, 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 your best rating because it, it deadens the sound. But with the... Uh, uh, stone in the tile, uh, you need to, you know, get a, a rating of a minimum of 50-50. So we have, uh, MAPE has a couple of different um, solutions for that, you know, depending on uh, what the current rating is, how thick the slab is. Slabs are te typically tested and rated at six inches. They're either with or without an insulated ceiling below. Um, very critical because once you can implement a insulated ceiling with uh, uh, the set thickness of drywall, set uh, hanger grids, uh, set uh, insulation uh, thickness, you can tremendously deaden that sound and so it makes it easier for the uh, sound reduction membrane that would need to be placed on top. So we've got a, a couple, we've got our, uh, you know, Mapicar 2 is an excellent uh, sound reduction uh, product. It's a simple peel and stick, so once your floors are flat, so whether they need a leveler or whether they're already in plane or whether it's going over wood, um, you can go ahead and use a product like the uh, MapaGuard uh, 2. And I, I don't have the ratings in front of me, but I do know that uh, we just did get accomplished uh, testing for an 8-inch slab with uh, no additional um, uh, soundproofing for the uh, MapaGuard uh, 2. So that's nice to know that, you know, we've got, you know, testing on an 8-inch, we've got testing on a 6-inch, and we typically meet uh, all the numbers for, for both of those settings. Uh, then we also have the newer uh, products of the uh, recycled rubber, which, uh, again, many manufacturers out there, all kinds of sizes from everything from uh, very thin. Uh, our typical ones that we're carrying right now is the 5-millimeter and the 10-millimeter, and they, again, both have uh, great uh, impact sound ratings to uh, cushion that noise. And what's neat about those is they're, they're not as uh, pricey as your peel-in sticks, but, you know, for 5 and uh, 10 millimeter, you're not going excessively uh, thick either. And then you can bond directly to that with our modified uh, mortars, you know, some of which we were talking about uh, our last uh, um, uh, topic. So uh, basically, uh, I think we've uh, summed it up. You need a minimum of a 50-50, but check on your local association and building complex to, you know, establish exactly where your ratings need to be, and that will determine how uh, effective uh, your products that you're going to put down to accomplish that are. Excellent. But it brings me to another question, though, and that is, let's say I need crack isolation as well as soundproofing. What do we do in that case? Will the same membrane work, or do we need two separate membranes? No, you got to pray. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've done that lot. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we always say we're doing this on a wing and a prayer, right? Uh, so yeah, exactly. anyway, uh, yes, uh, all of our products are both um, uh, rated as an ANSI A118. Uh, well, actually, I should let me take that back. We have some products. Uh, that are rated for crack isolation and waterproofing, and we have the other ones that are rated uh, as uh, for sound deadening uh, and um, 
crack isolation. So you have an ANSI 118.12 for the crack isolation, and all of ours meet the standard, I mean, I'm sorry, high performance of one-eighth of an inch in a lateral plane. So, you know, no deflection up and down because no product will help with that. But as far as expansion and contraction, you can expand up to one-eighth of an inch with our MapaGuard RM 5 and 10, and then our MapaGuard uh, two will expand all the way up to three eighths of an inch. So it's tremendous to watch that on a test on a on a split block, and you keep on expanding it like uh, uh, on the Adams family there, except with the body you're doing it with tile. And it's really neat to uh, uh, see a product uh, perform all the way up to a three eighths of an inch opening without cracking the tile that's above it. So yes, we can yeah, accomplish the one eighteen thirteen for sound and the one eighteen twelve for um, uh, expansion. And that, that brings up an interesting situation that I run into all the time, and that is when, you know, as an inspector, I go out there and I look at a crack in a floor. Um, let's say I do a destructive test, and I, I found that someone bridged a, a control joint in the slab. Would a product like that work to reinstall over that uh, a control joint? Yikes. Or, I'm going to be, how, I'm going to be quiet now. I'm going to be quiet now. <laughs> okay. Disclaimer. We're going to maybe mesh and blend MAPE's opinion. I always recommend, number one, as a MAPE representative, to follow the manufacturer's instructions. So, as a guideline, typically for a control joint, it may be safe to go over it. If you want to be 100% safe, then you want to just go ahead and follow just like you would an expansion joint and carry it all the way through the surface. But here's what happens is typically you can have a control joint. And let's just say uh, sometimes what people will do is they'll do a partial. Um, uh, in the T-Santa handbook, it's known as an F-125 partial for crack isolation. And what that's designed for, it's not designed for control joints. It's designed for open cracks that are already in the slab, and you want to correct that situation uh, so that the crack does not transfer through. And as long as there's no vertical uh, in a plane height difference, it's okay to do that as long as you first pre-treat the crack and then go ahead and you go at least three um, tiles wide of your crack isolation material. However, if you don't do the F-125 full, what can happen is that concrete can down the road crack somewhere else and now you've got an unprotected uh, surface. Uh, going back to the control joint, uh, we have at MAPE, the, the typical standard is treated as an expansion joint, but there are exceptions to the rule, and um, many times installers are doing this all the time with control joints is they are going over it, whether with an uncoupling membrane that we have. You know, our MapaGuard UM is our uncoupling membrane, which is an awesome product, which can also be waterproofed with our seam tape. And then there's also the uh, MapaGuard 2, uh, the RM. All of these products can bridge that, and it's really going to depend on the specific structure and what the job site circumstances are of whether or not you want to, you know, throw the dice and go over it or not. So, but, it, but it's a common occurrence, and, and I'm sure you probably see that in many of your, in, your inspections. You might not notice it until you actually do instructive, I mean destructive, to, to figure out what's yep. going on. Yeah, it's quite common. You know, it's funny you brought up uh, 
uh, exceptions to the rule. I always tell my, my students <laughs> in my inspection classes, I said, I love this industry because I can never be wrong because it's an exception to the rule. <laughs> I tell you, there's always an exception. And that's it's so, so, so true in this industry. So, you know, again, going back, that's why we have that's why we have guidelines and uh, that's why we should follow them. Let's switch gears again, John. Uh, so we can get all, all these topics in. Let's let let let's go to sealers, enhancers. You know the finishes, maintenance problems, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess the first question I have is: Is there a silver bullet for sealing stone? <laughs> wow. Um, no. You know, I'm going to have to. You know, honestly, I'm going to say no because we have dense stones with a very uh, tight um, crystal structure, and then we have you know, very grainy stones. And then we have things like, you know, polished stones and, uh, and unpolished or honed stones. And we have textured granites that have been water jet finished, bush hammered finished, uh, uh, split faced. So with all those combinations and even with uh, one sealer that might work in one application, it might not work in another. So absolutely there is no silver bullet. Even you buy, uh, whether it be some of our best sealers that MAPE has to offer, you know, we have a water-based sealer. Uh, one of them is our porous, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, penetrating uh, plus stone tile and grout sealer. And then we have a solvent-based sealer, which one of the newest technologies we have is the uh, uh, penetrating uh, SB uh, stone tile and grout sealer, which is a solvent base. Uh, hence the SB. We're really creative, as I mentioned last time with our, uh, <laughs> you know, our our names. But anyway, um, no such thing as the silver bullet. Uh, if we did have a very porous stone, that's when we want to use the uh, uh, the penetrating plus. Um, stone tile and grout sealer, which is the water bases I mentioned. Uh, then you have uh, some granites. There are some granites that don't even need a sealer. So I don't know if you're familiar, but years ago, uh, there was some of our local box stores that would sell a granite and say that, hey, we've got a 10-year sealer on them. we got a, this sealer on them. Well, it probably helped that those were igneous stones that they were sealing. So the worst case scenario that we'd run into is here you have this igneous stone that does not require a sealer. It passes the oil test. It passes the lemon test. And so it's, there's no penetration. In fact, actually, the sealers, if you actually did put it on that type of stone, can sit on the surface. And I've had to remove many times a sealer that was applied to that type of stone just because when the water rings were from your glasses etching the top of the surface and they thought it was damaging the stone, that wasn't it at all. The uh, stone, uh, the sealer was actually being damaged. And once you re removed the sealer, all of a sudden the stone was perfect and you could throw the uh, pop and wine and uh, salad dressing and whatever you wanted at it and uh, uh, nothing was going to happen to it. All you had to do was clean up with your you know, neutral or high alkaline cleaner. Um, now with uh, the more porous stones, uh, if you don't mind, I've got a minute to explain it, is our sure, impregnating absolutely. sealer. Uh, okay, thank you. Our impregnating sealers, just for our layperson out there, I don't like the word sealer. I, I was learning when we were writing either. this up for the MIA, or the Marvel Institute of American Knowledge, National Stone Institute, is that we should be calling these stone, I mean, we should be calling these repellents because that's all they're doing is repelling and they're giving you some, um, some time, some reaction time to get there and get that product, uh, whatever could be damaging to the surface, off. And once we say sealer, 
Well, now we think of something being totally encapsulated and protected. So you know, someone's going to say, well, I sealed my marble. Why is it still doing this? It's a bad sealer. You did a bad job. You didn't do the right product. No, that's not it at all. It was strictly a repellent that got put on. Uh, and unless you did a finish, and I think that was one of my other topics that I had here that would then basically be like your floor wax. So we've got some acrylic finishes uh, here at Mapei as well. And so with those products, you can put on what we would call a sacrificial layer or a wear layer, you know, that protectant that covered. So, yes, you're going to have more maintenance uh, to uh, apply and strip, apply and strip, but it will protect you, say, for example, I've done some of my bathrooms that were polished stone, and I would go in there with a topical uh, uh, acrylic sealer, and we would protect the toilet rooms. We wouldn't put them in the rest of the bathroom. We would just put them in the toilet rooms because some reason there's splatter in those rooms. <laughs> and so the bullseye is not hit very often. So it winds up, though, that when the uric acid hits uh, the uh, polished stone, it doesn't uh, create the etch marks. But, again, those type of coatings or finishes need to be maintained. Um, they're also not recommended for wet areas. So in a shower, I've done a lot of restoration work where they put on a finish in the shower, and then that finish would cloud because moisture got behind the finish, and then it started to uh, erode and break down the, um, uh, the, the finish. So just think of it that you want to use an impregnating uh, sealer, which I would like to call a repellent from this point forward, but it's yep, uh, in more proper terms. And then depending on uh, the specific uh, impregnating uh, sealers that are out there will depend on the price is going to dictate what the solid content is, which the solids uh, within those uh, penetrating products are the ones that will get into either the tiniest of crevices, which are typically the solvent-based products, versus fill a large open poured surface, which would be, you know, the water-based uh, surface. And then I'll close off with they also have, you know, your uh, fluoropolymer um, solids versus some type of a silicone uh, or silicon uh, product that's being uh, used. So uh, different uses for different products for different applications. And the only thing I'll add to that, and that was a great explanation, is that, and this goes especially for you contractors are out there, you have to be very careful in the terminology. Um, because when you say sealer to a person that's, that doesn't know our industry, they're thinking, as you said, a coating, a finish, or whatever. And what I used to get constantly back in the day is, uh, okay, we, we put this quote-unquote sealer, which is really a repellent, uh, on their stone surface, and it doesn't look any different. Uh, there, there will be no look and difference other than, and this is my next question, other than the possibility that some of these repellents can darken certain stones. Am I correct? That is absolutely correct. And when I was in my uh, contracting uh, business, I got to know every available uh, sealer and enhancer at my disposal. And then I would do, you know, mock-up testing with putting those samples on the stone and see if they truly did not change the color as they claimed to. So here in the industry, when you start to get into the um, – uh, enhancing products, you know, they are specifically meant to darken the surface of the stone. So what we have to keep in mind is to what degree do they want them to be darkened. So, you know, we have the enhancer 
plus uh, Ultra Care Enhancer Plus from uh, my pay, and that one has got the highest solid content, content, and it will literally darken the stone. And then we have you know our regular enhancer, Ultra Care Enhancer, and what that product would do is it'll give you like a, a medium uh, deepening of color. So depending on what you put it on, so you could put uh, say the Enhancer Plus on a blue stone or a slate, and it's going to really uh, tone down the color. It might even it might even make it look muddy because it, yes, it did give it a wet look, but some people want a wet look, shiny look, and some people want a wet look, dark look. And then some don't want the wet look at all. So, you know, you have to, you know, take these products and, and sample them on the various materials to see what your uh, end effect is going to be. But uh, they are going to be uh, more resilient of a sealer because of the solids concentrate uh, that are in them. And so they will offer excellent uh, wearability of your, especially they're, they're usually used on your honed uh, products. But there's other tricks that they've been used on uh, edges of um, uh, fabricated stone because maybe some of that stone that the fabricators are using was resined and now you need a product that's going to help darken that edge because if you just strictly cut and profiled that edge of the granite, now what it's going to do, it's going to go to the lighter core instead of what the resin surface looked like. So now you've got to compensate by either staining and or you know finding a good uh, enhancer that would work on um, that product. So again, uh, gr great question. Now, we talked about repellents. <clears throat> we talked about finishes. Uh, what we didn't talk about, and we need a little explanation on this, if you will, what is a grout release? Oh, boy. Again, uh, we've got uh, my pay's uh, infamous for this, but we've got a product called grout release. And guess what it does? Yeah. It releases grout. <laughs> and so, <laughs> Which is important. Let's just, it's very important. Let, let's just you know, use a couple of examples. Now, one of the most extreme ones, is the days that they're still out there. Um, I haven't seen them in a while, but I know they still exist, are your abrasive quarries you know, that they're using in commercial uh, kitchens and dairies and things like that so that when there was grease that would get on that floor, those little sand particles uh, that were literally, you know, stuck in the face of the quarry tile, but you try to grout that thing without any type of a coating on it, your grout is not going to come clean and off the top of the face of that tile. You know, nowadays we have other things such as some of these um, plank tiles that have very deep grains in them. And many times uh, because of now we can use these universal grouts that I talked about that, you know, they're rapid setting, they're, you know, rated as a high performance grout like our Ultra Color Plus FA. And what will happen, though, is now that grout and that pigment can get into that little fine graining that's in the wood grain. So no matter how hard you clean it, and sometimes you've got to go back after it with a scrub brush, but if you don't get it right the first shot, you know, now you've got to usually take an acidic uh, product and get it out. And that's where we get into the problem solvers that we can touch base in a minute. But in the meanwhile, the grout release, it's basically, uh, if I could give it a simple turn, is like, you know, putting a liquid detergent uh, on top of the uh, tile or the stone surface. And what that'll do is that you, it'll, you put on one or two coats, depending on, uh, you know, how absorbent the material is. Let that dry, and then you come back and you grout it. And whether it be with an epoxy grout or with a you know high performance uh, uh, grout, now you when you go to wash it, you're pulling the the grout film off of the grout release, and then you're starting to then 
dig down and you're dissolving the grout release that's on there. So you're kind of getting a two for one where you've not sealed the tile, you've, but you've put a, a safe protection on the top that uh, does uh, come off with, uh, you know, simple uh, the grout cleaning process and then maybe another cleaning process after that, depending if there's any residue left. So that brings up another interesting question, Now You've just done this a tile floor. You have to use a grout release on whatever particular tile you're working with that's very absorbent, and the customer or you uh, wants the grout, and we'll use that awful word again, they want to seal the grout. Uh, how long do you usually wait? Okay, again, depending on the uh, the products uh, that are out there, you know, our, our Ultracolor Plus FA can typically be sealed after uh, 24 uh, hours. Uh, then when you get into your more cementitious uh, grouts, uh, the, the rule of thumb is uh, 72 hours. But what's important, too, to realize, though, is depending on the size of the tile and how thick the setting bed was, that also has a, an effect uh, on the um, uh, grout. So, you know, first you want to make sure you hold off on your grout until you've got substantial uh, drying out of the setting bed, and then, you know, the proper cure time on the setting bed before you attempt to seal. Now, you mentioned grout haze before, so I'm going to have to ask you this question. Let's say I messed up and I've got a grout haze. How do I go about removing it? Okay, usually a jackhammer, uh, you know, a good demo hammer <laughs> does <works>. the job. <laughs> That'll work. Oh, my gosh, I've seen some horrible ones. And um, it, it really depends on what we're, how we're going to define grout haze, and it's going to also depend on whether it's an epoxy grout haze or whether it's a uh, cement grout haze. And then on the cement grout haze, it's going to depend on what type of grout was used. So let, let's, uh, let's use a simple one. Let's just say you're using our Caracolor S standard uh, sanded grout. And then uh, let's say upon washing, uh, that overnight film got on there, but it wasn't just on a glazed tile. It happened to be on a, on a matte finished tile. So what will happen is now you've got a haze on there that uh, according to TCNA and by a lot of uh, standards, ANSI I believe has one as well, and they tell you to wait uh, before uh, doing any type of an acidic uh, cleanup to wait 10 days. Well, to me what that's doing is that's just buying time for that to get harder. Um, so we do have some uh, cleaners. One of them is we do have our sulfamic acid crystals. Those are the safest, most uh, recognized and um, uh, used uh, product and recommended product for a typical cement grout haze. So, you know, wait your 10 days or if you're able to, the sooner you can get it up, the better, but I wouldn't do anything sooner than uh, three days. And if you uh, just had to get onto it, then make sure you just dampen your, your grout joints and maybe dampen the surface before you start putting this, uh, you know, sulfamic acid crystals on there. The other thing, let's move into a, a now a little bit more difficult one would be like our Ultracolor Plus or, you know, these newer uh, ANSI 118.7 high-performance grouts. Well, what they have is besides also having the density with the fine aggregate that's in the, the Ultracolor Plus FA, um, hence FA, get it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's fine aggregate. Um, then uh, what you're going to what you're going to have is a, a higher concentration of acrylic or polymer in the grout, so that's helping it be denser as well as more resilient towards your staining. But it's also making it where your typical sulfamic acid might not break down that grout because it's also got an aluminate 
uh, oxide in it instead of a traditional um, um, cement, Portland cement in there. So between trying to break the aluminum oxide down as well as the acrylic, well, then your, your simple cement grout haze uh, removers aren't going to uh, work. Uh, so now you're going to have to, what I would recommend would be something like our um, heavy-duty stone talon grout cleaner, which is a high alkaline cleaner. Of course, alkalines break down polymers and acrylic. So that would uh, typically be your uh, best type of product for that. And then once you get into uh, your epoxy uh, grout, same thing. Uh, the biggest key, and I, I would just want to give a couple hints out there to the installers that may be familiar or might be afraid of these um, epoxy grouts. Well, number one, they've been water washable for quite some time now. Uh, however, if you don't use enough water or you don't change your water often enough or you don't rinse often enough, don't be afraid to use water and an abundance of water on your epoxy grout. And then keep in mind that when you're installing that epoxy grout is to, you know, we've got, uh, you know, our uh, Care Epoxy CQ, which is, you know, a great uh, seller. We've got it available in all 40 colors. So it can go into almost any application that you can put cement grout. And what'll happen though, is if you don't get that film off, don't change the bucket, uh, there is then gonna be that epoxy grout haze that's left on the surface, and the longer you let it wait, the harder it's gonna to be to get off. So a lot of the guys that are familiar with epoxy, they'll go ahead and include to come back the next day. So they just know that their guys are not gonna take the time and do all the changing of waters that's required and get in and get out as quick as you can to get on to your next job. So they're gonna just say, hey, we know we got a film on there. We're gonna go the back the next day and we're gonna use you know, the epoxy grout haze remover. And guess what my pay calls it? Epoxy grout haze remover. Grout haze remover. <laughs> <laughs> you can almost just uh, I, know what product you want to get. Oh, I want thinset. Yeah. Okay, that's our thinset. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. You know, another little tip I'll add with epoxy grout, all the years I've worked with it, is a hot water works well, too. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and that's uh, true, but it also depends, you know, sometimes you can also, they have, uh, depending on the grout itself, they have packets that can be uh, added to the uh, wash water. Sometimes it's an acidic uh, uh, packet, sometimes it's uh, some other uh, chemical citric. Uh, citrus-based uh, packet that uh, can go with it. And usually we'll find that for sure in our, like our uh, Care Epoxy IEGCQ, which is the, uh, uh, the high-performance uh, industrial epoxy for commercial kitchens. But um, one other thing in addition to that that I forgot to mention, Fred, now that you're mentioning it, is that when you're doing that cleanup, and is to not necessarily have to keep on wringing your sponge and throwing it up into the bucket and trying to wring out your sponge, but you can literally take something simple as a uh, uh, squeegee and then pull that into a pile and then take a, another squeegee and throw it into a steel dustpan and then dump that residue into the bucket uh, before you start your water cleanup or use a wet vac. Uh, and again, it's got to be your work wet bag. Better not be the one you got at home for the wife because uh, yep. she will not be She'll happy with back. what you get in return. <laughs> Absolutely. We know where those buttons are, don't we? Oh, um, yeah, we but sure any do. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, to go ahead and use a, a wet bag and, again, get rid of all that residue first and then go ahead and do your water wash with your you know, white scrub pad. And uh, that's going to also greatly facilitate your cleanup. Great tip. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, believe it or not, but we, I think we covered a lot of information. So uh, uh, one last time, John, I want to thank you. Uh, if you have any uh, questions for John, why don't you give out the product support for John? 
and the website. Okay, our, thank you. Okay, our product support is uh, 1-800-992-6273. And then for our uh, website, so if you're U.S.-based, uh, it's uh, www.mapei.us. And then if you're somewhere other place around the world, it's uh, www.mapei.com. And I'll, I'll also add, uh, Mapei has always been my favorite products. Uh, I've uh, recommended all the time. So, again, thank you, John, and uh, we'll be talking shortly. Awesome. Thank you, Fred. I had a good time. Great. All righty, folks, there you have it. If uh, you want a, a little bit more information, you contact John at, the, at those numbers there or any of the other technical representatives there. Uh, also, you might want to go back and listen to our first show where we interviewed John, which was uh, two weeks ago. That will be in the archives. Uh, in the meantime, I hope everyone has a great weekend. Make sure you listen to us again, uh, again, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time. I also have a new video blog that's out, so if you want to uh, uh, get a load of the video blog, send me an email to F. Houston, that's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Again, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. Everyone have a great one. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.